I believe she said the Romans invented the unicorn and the Greeks invented the Pegasus. And then she's like, I have no idea who came up with the eloquent. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. It's Alan. And Brent. And nobody else except for my dog. We're here for episode 195 of the AB Testing Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. How you doing, Brent? I'm doing super. He's doing so super. He is wearing a San Francisco 49ers uh, shirt. And uh, they are a sports ball team in the U.S. They play football, but not the good kind of football. The other kind that has gained massive popularity with the rise of the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey relationship. I don't know how the Foyd and I understand a chance. Tell me what your tell me your thoughts, Brent. I yeah, it was actually one of one of my employees had a one on one today. She's like, I never watch football, but I'm totally watching this time. And I'm like, oh really? Why? And she's like, because Taylor Swift. Because you can see like five seconds of Taylor Swift in the box being Swifty. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's I, a wild I, time. I'm I'm just like okay, right? The the Niners have a pretty good chance against the Chiefs, but can the Niners also tackle Swiftyism? I, mean, I don't know. It's gonna I, it's going to be wild. I will watch every year. I love watching all of the new commercials because there's like three times a year. Three times a year, I watch actual commercials for more than those little thirty second blurbs on on YouTube or now Amazon Prime. That is the Oscars, the Grammys, and the Super Bowl. That's about it. Because soccer, there's no commercials during the match, and I use I use halftime to go get food or make something or whatever because I know how long it's going to be. It's a very predictable sport. Right. Uh, your breaks are, are more predictable. Like I would say football is fairly predictable as well. No, well – yeah, here's the deal. Like if I'm actually I will watch the Seahawks play sometime, but I have to have a project while I'm watching football because there's not very much football in the three and a half hour football game. Right, right. It's 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 um... it's a great social sport. I can see why. Like when I was younger, I go I watch like football games with friends and things because it's 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 a social sport because there's plenty of time to talk between plays and things. Oh, for sure. For sure, and I don't like people, so social sports are not for me. I I um I once uh, a buddy of mine years ago once actually used football as sort of a metaphor for waterfall. Interesting. It's like oh yeah right, and and an NFL game they plan for an hour. The game's only going to take an hour, but yet it consistently never does. That's interesting. Uh, metaphor, and it's one of the reasons why, right? With with the the variant of agile, I never gave it the name anything related to NFL, because NFL is absolutely in comparison to soccer. NFL is way more command and control. So we are by ourselves. We've had a couple of guests uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, split up uh, Jason into two. A big thing on AI, and then 
We had Brian before that. I want to do a little retro reflection on some of the things I learned there and go a little bit deeper into those thoughts I have. But then I was also thinking, like, I like having guests on the podcast and it's fun. We get feedback that people like getting new ideas and and all these things. And then my boss told me this week, he says, I skipped past your past few episodes. I only want to hear you and Brent rant about things. I don't care about your guests. Your boss said this? Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, and he's a total AI geek. And he's listening right now. Well, I mean, right now as the moment he hears this, but he didn't listen to Jason geek out about AI. So whatever. I was. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that feedback. Well, whatever. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. Here is we're 195 episodes in and people know by now, look, we are the AB testing podcast. We do whatever the fuck we want. A A fucking men. And one thing that's really important that I think you just clued me in on. So you're saying that there's like a 95% chance that your manager is going to listen to this episode. Yes, I think so. Ooh. And he will tell me. He, <laughs> in fact, he will send me a message the moment he gets to that part. He says, hey, heard the call out. Sup? I don't know your manager well, but I, I'm going to think of, I'm going to think a bit about the chaos I might be able to cause you. So I'm going to read you a blog post, not a blog post, a LinkedIn post from today. Okay. And I want you to hold your comments and any facial expression. Actually, facial expressions are fine because nobody can see them until I'm done. This is uh, from a fellow named Mike Thornton. Developers shouldn't test their own code. Developers have a blind spot. Their focus is problem solving. They are so solution oriented that they can't see edge cases. So they will only test the happy path. Only testers should test. Developers shouldn't design their own software. They will only design the happy path. Only designers should design. Developers should not deploy their own software. They will only deploy the happy path. Only deployers should deploy. Developers shouldn't code their own software. They will only code the happy path. Only coders should code. Last line. Wait, I'm not done yet. Follow me for more career-ending advice. Okay. <laughs> I took Brent on a journey. That was a roller coaster. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it started off bad and got more absurd, and then got good. So, and I'm like, I'm like, what? Like the last one was like, what? <laughs> what was cool is I saw this because Brian Finster commented on it, and I follow Brian Finster on LinkedIn, so it showed up in my feed. And it was really cool because what I'm finding is, and Brian was on uh, episode 192, and there's a line from that or a concept from that podcast I've been talking about a lot lately where he says something to the effect of the way to really highlight where the problems are in your delivery is to try and do CD. Yeah. And I have been thinking about that a lot because it's true. And it's really about we want to help people go super, super fast. I've been talking to my team a little bit about that. And there's a lot to that and see what breaks. So I want to reflect a little bit on that. I have I want to tie that into a longer topic, but also anyway, that was it for the Brian thing. I thought that was pretty funny. And of course the comments don't and the internet never read the comments. The comments are like actually I do want to finish this this uh, topic because the comments are you're an idiot. People said, I don't agree with you. These are wrong. It's like, oh my God. But what I'm happy to see is we have people that don't even know what modern testing is doing modern testing principles. Exactly what we knew was going on, but nobody believed us at first. And we're just seeing more and more examples of the fact that a whole lot of companies 
deliver. If there's anything, we saw it coming on. We we pay attention to sort of trends that seem to be successful. Like, we didn't yeah. cause this. We just observed it. And, and the momentum of that, or the momentum of that sort of initiative, that just kept on going. Like, it, it yeah, I think yeah. it's well beyond early adopter phase. At this and that's point, the thing. Right? We And the thing I keep on reiterating, we didn't invent anything. We talked about what we were seeing and we put some labels on things just to try and explain it better. So interesting yeah. now, like getting just that one connection with Brian brought a little bit, expanded my network a little bit into more people that get how modern software delivery works. So cool stuff. I'm, I'm actually wondering how well... Send me that link later. I'm actually wondering how well that would fit on a T-shirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that is the type of witty things that I would often get T-shirts. It might be a little too verbal. Yeah, it's, it, it's a lot on there. I also wanted to reflect a little bit on, we had Jason and you and I geeked out a lot about AI. I know you've been thinking about that a little bit. You mentioned a little bit when we were first getting on the call and talking, but right. something about... Please don't say AI ops. Tell me, tell me more where you're going. Like, what have you been thinking about since that about AI since that call? Well, so one of the things, how do I do this without being? No, let me let me do a, a, a brief version of it. Uh, a longer version of it might be worthwhile. So, been thinking around. I'll just I'll just invent a term, and I'm not inventing a, a term because this is a conversation. I had with my manager just the other day, but let's just call it LLM ops. Yeah, I feel a little sick already, but go on. <laughs> right. It, it's essentially, so if we think about the progression and I, there's a couple phases in between that I'm, I'm forgetting the names of, right? There was start off with sort of a dedicated SRE team, then the idea of DevOps and then probably a couple more. Then there's AI ops, where, well, so the big part of, of DevOps is, no, now actually the developer owns their own lifesite yeah, operations. Yeah, the idea behind DevOps was to get rid of the wall between the development team and the operations team, or the development team and the deployers. The, de mm -hmm. the, the devs and deployers never shall meet. Unicorn projects all around right. us. So cognitive distance. Yeah. Don't need whatever. it. So the idea is just get rid of the walls. It's faster. Get rid of the handoffs. Just get rid of the handoffs. So to me, in a way, everything's DevOps. We're trying to get rid of handoffs between teams, but I'll let you go with your story. Right. Well, well, so AI ops is, is again, trying to speed things up, essentially get rid of the risk inherent in human decision-making, right? Have the AI make the decisions. So we're not breaking down the wall between AI and ops. We're breaking down the wall between humans and their decisions. Well, so my absolute belief, uh, AI, uh, every AI I've encountered, and I think this is true, period, for all AI. AI's whole purpose in life is to automate decision-making. That's what it does. In certain AIs, certain AIs, uh, can only automate, you know, simple decisions. Uh, even very complex models can only automate certain decisions. But the thing that around LLM uh, that's attractive is it 
can, if you leverage it right, I suppose, hand wave, hand wave, it can make decisions of unstructured data of lots of forms. Obviously, it can't, it has the weakness where it can't use numbers uh, in the way, say, traditional AI. Every number to an LLM is, is a string. Everything is a string. But to me, that's, that it kind of feels like the next logical progression uh, of sort of speeding things up. Of course, massive risk with it. I, I just wanted to float that topic to see, to, to sort of invite the, the potential for brainstorming there. Just just to interject there, I, I like, and I, I've talked about the way I use ChatGPT is to help me collaborate and really right. to make decisions. Like, it's, I do this or this, it's, it's, it is a form of decisions. But then I was thinking also, like, one of the things that's always, that attracts, like, the leaders I've liked in my, in my career, one attribute they all had was the, the ability for them to make a quick and confident decision, whether it was based on a little data or a lot of data. They just, they were good at decision making and their track record was super accurate. So if we can, trying to figure out if, if we use AI to help us make decisions or, or AI is there to make decisions for us or help us make decisions, I'll say, does that accelerate? Does that improve leadership or replace leadership? Certainly the risk of it uh, to do both is quite high. The, I think it's the former, by the way, at least for the short term. I think it's just like the thing we always say, AI isn't taking your job away. People who know how to use it effectively are. Now, and the, the people who's – here's my problem with, with the folks' knowledge. Uh, we, we've talked about knowledge and where ideas come from, et cetera, et cetera. We et cetera. like knowledge. Yes. There's this concept of the adjacent – possible i mm -hmm. think i think i learned that from johnson yep you, you did you learn know? that from stephen johnson yep. okay and the so if everyone was to view like your personal knowledge as like a as like a literally like a bubble like when you go blow bubbles with children right a bubble inside of your head it's a sphere that has a surface area and anytime you gain knowledge you're basically blowing more air into that bubble so it grows bigger it has a better surface area. And so there are more things that are now possible just out of the reach of that bubble. Yeah. The question is that I, I think about, okay, these, these AIs coming to, to, to take our jobs, they will. But will they take the portion of our job that we like or the portion of our job that we hate? Will... Will it be able to, to what degree will it be able to go uh, accelerate us such that each of us as human beings are, are able to access more of the adjacent possible? I think when I think about a couple of things, like automation, why did we build automation, right? It's to get rid of sucky, repetitive things, the things mm -hmm. that we kind of don't want to do, right? And that's part of it. It's also to do things at scale that we literally can't do. Like, I do not have the ability to run manually a thousand test cases in parallel. Like, I'm pretty certain you don't either. With automation, I can, but not manually. So there is that risk of every time we automate, 
because we can do it at parallel in, in that scale, that that we're creating the ability to do something that we can't do manually. That's certainly possible with with AI, but a lot of it is is going to be based off of I don't need to make these decisions anymore. It can it like I'm perfectly fine with something else making those decisions. The lightweight ones, the ones where you're sitting with your wife and you're like, hey, where do you want to go eat? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. Like, LLM, tell us where to go eat. Right. For sure. So it's interesting you bring that up. I want to talk a little bit more about the adjacent possible here because I was talking yeah. to someone, I forget who. It's a long story. Tech people. Well, Tech people I don't work with. I'll leave it there. And they asked a question every person asks me when we talk about tech. Alan. What do you think about AI? I said, really, do we have all night? But what it boils down to is I brought up the adjacent possible. I think you know everybody's excited about AI, and AI is now a buzzword. Do you remember when Microsoft put .NET on the, on the end of every project? I figured people yes. are doing that with AI. Everything's AI. It's not. Probably 90% of the things out there now that says powered by AI are not powered by AI. It's dumb. But... Uh, that wasn't my answer. My answer was <laughs> all the stuff we've talked about. Chat GPT is a great example. I talk about how I collaborate with it, how it, it's enabling a lot of things. And it's really as exciting as Chat GPT is. What it has done is brought us to, and what the adjacent possible is, I forget Stephen's definition, Stephen Johnson, but it's like the adjacent possible are the things that are possible to get done at our current evolution of tech, biology, whatever. Right. What ChatGPT and LLMs and generative AI have done is it's we've taken a step forward in what's possible, but I really believe the big inventions, the things that they're really going to go oh shit about and go wow this is amazing, this is accelerating, or it's doing A, it's doing B, it's doing C, they are things that are going that we haven't thought of yet but are now the new adjacent possible because of the existence of generative AI. Right. And then, and the new forms of AI coming out. There's something, they say, well, what are you most excited about? I'm excited about the thing I haven't heard about yet that actually builds on this and takes us to a brand new place never been before. That's what I'm most excited about. I am, I'll, I'll share with you how I'm thinking about it. In, in the AI world, are you familiar with the concept of a centaur? Um, I, oh, we've talked about this briefly before, yes. An old professor. So the term was invented by, and I forget the guy's name. The, uh, the Greek st- mythology? Yeah, that term was. But in the context of AI, and actually if my daughter were here, she'd be able to, to confirm or deny if it was actually the Greeks. Uh, That's what she, I said. I said the Greek. I said Greek mythology. Yeah. Anyway, me, they have ta- they have, didn't invent the term. I, They've no, taken no, I, the I, term I, and applied <laughs> it in a new way. In a new way. Right. Um, we are all about accuracy on the A-B testing podcast. I learned from my daughter the other day the following, and I may get it backwards. I don't care. But I learned that I believe she said the Romans invented the unicorn and the Greeks invented the Pegasus. And then she's like, I have no idea who came up with the eloquent. Right. But to your point. Stephen Johnson, the Jason Possible. No one was able to invent the alicorn until the unicorn and the pegasus were invented. And for those on the call who have no idea, WTF is an alicorn. It is a unicorn pegasus. It is a 
unicorn with wings. No, it's a Pegasus with a horn in the middle of his head. <sighs> the age-old debate is a zebra black on white or white on black. Yep. I, I clearly see where you stand on that debate. Um, Whatever, whatever's the opposite of you, Brent. I, yeah. Like I said, I clearly see you wherever you stand. Okay, now, where, where, where were you going? You're where the hell was I going? Tell with me story? about the centaur. Oh, centaur! Thank you. Welcome to the ADHD podcast. I'm Alan. <laughs> Hi, Britt. <laughs> we'll um, see you next time. <laughs> the centaur was invented. Uh, the the context, if you use it in this context, was invented by the guy who first, the chess grandmaster who got first to beat defeated by Deep Blue, but then came back and beat Deep Blue. Is that Kasparov? I think it is. And what he has discovered is that him with Deep Blue is un, is basically undefeatable. Right? It, he calls it a centaur because it's it's literally man and machine working cooperatively together. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm gonna jump in. Is that if the man's leading it, it's a centaur, but if it's the other way around, it's just a mechanical Turk? I never quite understood what a Turk was in that. The idea was the mechanical Turk. It's that it's it's like this. It's like the concierge MVP where you think there's a computer on the back end doing stuff, just a human doing it for them is I'm asking is the opposite of a centaur, a mechanical Turk where it's a machine on the front, but there's a human in the back making the decisions. It might be. Sorry, I, I let you on a tangent, but I was just thinking out loud. In this case, a as cent- we do in this case, it's it's uh, yeah the human making the final decision, but heavily augmented by the machine. Yeah, but anyway, right. I, I love the idea. This is the way I work. Generative AI helps me; it, it accelerates me in exactly the way you're describing with chess. Right now, one of the things that, and when I go on my full sort of philosophical talk around LLM, one of the things I bring out is. There are three personas that I've discovered that an LLM is. And I, and I have talked about this to some degree. And, and I basically say a parrot, number one, number two, a genie. And then the last one that's most important, which is an SME. Okay. And, and I find myself sharing this a lot, even with my own team, who has now heard it multiple times. But it's with a data science team, it's, I find it's really important to share this. So that they don't look at at the LLM and go, oh, it's magic. No, it's not magic. It's a, a bunch of cleverly strung together yeah. a set of prob- uh, probabilities. There's an example there that I, I I might share later. Where one of my stronger data scientists, I walked him through a scenario and and I said, and then I dropped a bomb on him, like to help him understand LLMs better. Right? It, uh, I'm like. This is stateless. It is apparent, right? And what that essentially means, it is it, it it doesn't know anything. Anytime someone says, oh, it learned this. No, it did not learn this. Are you familiar with, with the idea of, um, of a one-shot prompt? No. Oh, it makes sense in context, but go ahead and talk through it. I, I, let me try it a different way. So... If you were to go to LLM and give it a prompt, what is one plus one? Okay, now today the LLM will do just fine. Uh, when it first came out, it didn't do numbers very well. Right. Okay. 
And all the people said, well, look, I don't believe in this stuff. You can't even do math. Right. And even though now you go, what is one plus one? It'll tell you the answer is two. But I will tell you, it's not doing math. It is 100%. Like the model has improved and it knows that the correct character to output given that initial stream of characters is with like five nines probability, the number two. Yeah. However, what you can do, let's say you did what is, you know, and you, you pound seven random characters on your, your number strip on your keyboard, plus do it again, different random characters. Okay. And then uh, and then you hit enter, it'll probably get that wrong. Every time I do this example, I often have to come up with a different set of random numbers, but I can get it to get it wrong. However, if you do that same thing and then follow it up with the prompt example, one plus one equals two. By doing that extra string, you kind of prune down the probabilistic paths in the, the neural net that backs the LLM into one that is far more likely to be correct because there aren't so many um, possibilities for it to spread out. Uh, Even at those very small probabilities, it will get things wrong from our our perception. But it's a pair. It doesn't know anything. It's just really good at simulating a correct response. Now, when I say a genie, a genie means a genie historically like if if you if you found an Aladdin's bottle and you asked it to be um, you asked to be a world class swimmer right the the problem is genies are historically evil and it will fulfill your wish by turning you into a shark right it, you're a world class swimmer you know i grew up watching reruns of i dream of genie and that genie was very nice uh that was made for tv oh yeah uh, what, that wasn't real? No, no, no. Oh, weird. Not not historically accurate. Okay, all right, go on. Yeah. I just, I, I'm mind blown. Today I learned. Yeah, so the way you, you battle the, the genie, the, this is like if you if you ever do encounter a, 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 a genie in a lamp. The way, to, the way to battle it, when you do your wishes, you need to make sure they are so specific, the genie has only the right way to grant your wish like the way you want it to be granted. And that that's kind of the issue with with LLMs. Like there is a risk if you write a, a prompt and it is in any way shape or form ambiguous, there is a risk it's going to go sideways. Right? Uh, I'll give you an example for the for the community here. You give it a scenario. Let's say you write up a narrative, a bug report or whatever, and you ask it, is this a bug or is it by design? Both of those are kind of philosophical, right? And the definition of bug or by design is subjective and it will very often go sideways. And one of my favorite examples is, hey, if the product, let's say it's a service, fails to integrate with another service that only began its existence after the first service was released. Is that a bug or is it by design? 
Well, it wasn't designed for because the new service didn't exist. So it can't be by design, but then the product is still working as it was intended. So it's not a bug. And if you ask the LLM, you have to pick one of those. Like it will roll the dice. You, you rerun it and it'll pick a different one each time. Um, I know this painfully from, from example. Now, <clears throat> assuming you can battle the parrot and the, L and the genie. The last person on LLM is, is an SME. It's a subject matter expert. Or rather, it can simulate the it's, knowledge. I was going to say, yes, it can act like one. It isn't one. It knows nothing, as we've discussed. Right. But it can fake it super well. And it, it, it can, I would say, well, actually, I don't need to say, because when LLMs came out, there was all sorts of evidence on it. Like, LLMs can pass the freaking bar. Right. Right. LLMs can, at some point in time, it is so good at simulating S, being an SME, you might as well just call it an SME. Now, the challenge is figuring out when it's gone sideways. Right. But I, I argue that's that's an equivalent challenge um, with a, a, a regular SME. Sure. Right. Uh, Alan has talked about on the podcast. Like I, I, I remember, like I enjoyed this story. Like you know, you knew shit about A/B testing. You were asked to write a presentation on it, and I, it, I don't know, like three hours or something. I, I think it was like three weeks. But and you're like, yeah, sure. You you did your research enough to to confidently fake that you were an expert on absolutely testing. and that's been right? the history of my career i can i am confident now after you know going through it a hard way a few times but there are a few limits on what i can do given enough time because I, I i can suck in knowledge and remember things that's my superpower i somehow learn things quickly and find a way to conceptualize them now what chat gpt does it accelerates my ability to do that where before, like, I have to make big batches of brain soup to learn things. I had to look at 30 articles on experimentation and statistical significance in order to understand how A-B experiments work and understand just the, the gist behind them. And I, and I got out Google Analytics and learned how to implement uh, that in in Google Analytics. And But I had to do all that and just kind of let it sit there for a while. And then the soup came out, okay, this is how I think it works. Well, now... I can get a lot faster. I can go to ChatGPT right now and says, "Give me, give me three simple examples to explain uh, statistical significance." Now I don't have to go like in the past ten years ago when I gave that talk, I had to go read a whole bunch of stuff. Like they say, the best way to learn something is try and teach it. Yep. And like now I can learn it faster. I, I focus on learning with the goal of teaching. Uh, tell me stuff, chat GPT, genie, parrot, SME, tell me stuff so I can pretend like I know it. Right. Right. And of course the one thing in, in that particular example, even, even if GPT is making things up, right. Which is the risk, right? Cause you don't know, you're asking it to teach you something. So you don't know if it's making shit up or not. Yeah. But I have ways of checking that. I, I, I trust, but verify. No, but even then, right. We we've talked about it before. GPT is really good at bullshitting, right? It, it would be really hard for, unless you are asking it, like if you're asking it something uh, philosophical or subjective, 
where, where you're you're basically avoiding it mentioning facts, things that can't right. be fact checked, right? Yeah. It, it's going to be fine. Right? It's, no, it, it's wonderful. It's better than fine. It's great. Right. So what you have realized is if we go back to my little knowledge bubble, it's inside of each yep, of us. Yep. You're like, oh, my knowledge bubble, as you just called out, is pretty awesome. You are able to puff air into your knowledge bubble really fast. Chat GPT is a supercharged air compressor blowing into my bubble. That's one thing, but it is also its own bubble that's that it you have direct access to. Like it, oh, it, it, so many bubbles. When we talk about the centaur, right? And, and oh, I forgot we were talking about yeah. centaur. That's it, awesome. It, 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 you actually forgot what we were really talking about, which is LLN ops. I'm tying oh. it back. Oh my god, that's right. That was like a week ago. Keep right. going. All right. So if we if we agree that AI plus humans outperform either of those components on their own. Like AI plus you. Okay. Nobody can disagree with that. Go on. And then we agree that in certain contexts, LLM is a is a equivalent or perhaps better SME than the human. Mm-hmm. Then I go, okay, what can AI plus LLM be? Particularly in the application of ops, because you know this is A/B testing. Is that a rhetorical question, or do you have an answer? No, it's it's it. That's that's rhetorical. I'm going to me. That feels like an adjacent possible. Free inventions, right here on <laughs> I, I got. We we're almost out of time here. I got to tell you one thing. Going back half a story is one of my favorite moments in life. So Brent has like a master's degree in data bullshit. Right. Is that the actual degree? It's, yeah, data, data BS. The time yeah. when, in the middle of a podcast, I pulled out a statistical term and used it correctly. The look on Brent's face, like, yeah, I can fake it till I'm in. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, I don't, I, I don't remember my face. I remember, I remember the conversation. Um, I don't remember my face. And I'm like, okay, which one did I do? Was it the holy shit or, yeah, no. I think it, it was it, just just to wonder, just wonder, like where, where did he learn that word and how to use it? No, I've been aware of your superpower here for a long time. I, like, I, and I'm not going to confuse myself. It is absolutely one of Alan's superpowers. And the other one of yours that I'm jealous with is is on writing. We're both INTPs, but apparently that doesn't come come with like the ability to actually. Just sit down and write shit and then be done in 20 minutes. Yeah, but <laughs> it's different now. I sit down. It takes me more than 20, but I write – I have written a blog post every week for the last – now, I'm very – last over a year now. And these days, I write my post and then I paste it into uh, ChatGPT and say and ask it for feedback. And literally, I say any feedback on, on this article. And maybe, maybe I'll put some context, but not really. I paste it in. It, it gives me – like 10 bullet points. I usually ignore about eight of them and two of them are like, Oh, actually, yeah, I could do a better segue there. It is a cheap and quick editor. I paste it in there. It's never, it never like hack stuff. It red line stuff. It, it gives some basic, like some of the tips it gives are the same every single week, 
but it can say like it lets me know if I have, I always look for a mix between anecdotes and like, that's the way I write. I have, I have stories I want to tell from experiences. I have books I want to refer to because I want people to know that I have no ideas of my own. I am really good. Again, it's using these superpowers are related because I use the brain soup I get from reading like 50 gazillion books and I let them regurgitate and I go, Oh, wait a minute. This came up in a book and I figure out what it was. Anyway. Yeah. Chai GPT is my, is my quick and dirty editor. It makes me better. Going all the way back to the beginning of the episode. Oh my God. We're good. Yeah. I am. I am absolutely impressed at my hit rate of being able to remember the tangent. Uh, Usually I get lost and can't find my way back, but on CICD, right. Yeah. I, I actually fully argue that that was the main point of the Phoenix project, right? If you think about if, if you read that story, you think about how the world friggin' changed. It was because they deployed CICD. Yeah. Right. It, it, it isn't what they built, but how they built it. They tried to move faster. Uh, there's a whole other blog post, uh, blog post, whole other podcast here, and we'll get to it next time. It was actually what, what I was going to get to. This was better, uh, but it'll be other one will be good next week. Just just don't worry about it in two weeks. Going fast highlights where your bottlenecks are. If you go slow, you never see the bottlenecks. You'll never see them. They don't exist. Yeah. You don't even know. You're you're numb to them. They just don't happen. Move faster. Those little bumps get in the way. Well, and, and, and if you're well. So one of the important lessons that I did back in the days when I was actively doing agile coaching, back in the day, everyone thought it was purely about moving fast and moving fast is very important, but the correct statement is adapt fast. Absolutely. We've talked about that. There's a difference between iteration and adapting. A lot of teams who fuck up agile do it because they focus so much on iterating and not on adapting. And CICD is so important because you're not waiting to integrate with Maine. You're not waiting. Feedback loops. You get the feedback instantly and you're continuously improving Maine, right? Um, which has a dramatic reduction in risk. Yeah. Um, one, one gazillion percent. Agreed. If that many, were possible. I think it is. Why not? Two Brazilian. Two Brazilian percent. A Brazilian. Yeah. How much, that, that, that's like a law, right? Uh, uh, well, no, that's like a person who lives in, in a country in South America. Oh, yeah. oh weird. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks. This has been the um, the dad joke portion of the AB Testing Podcast. Really appreciate you coming by. I'll be here all week. Bah, let's call it a day. I got all, This is cool because now I have a topic queued up for next time when we talk in two weeks. Yippee-ki-yay, mother. This is Alan. This is Brent. And we'll see you next time.